All right, so I want you to try and remember back to when you last downloaded an app onto your phone. So you download it, you normally have to set it up, you create an account, probably have to verify it with your email or something, then you configure it and you just start using it. I mean, maybe you watched a quick video and followed a few prompts within the app. If you use it for the first time, it's a bit more complicated, but generally consumer apps are easy to use. You don't need someone over your shoulder telling you how to use it. You just do. They need to be that way. Otherwise, they're just dead in the water. And then welcome to healthcare, where in-person training, big outdated training manuals and very steep learning curves are just part and parcel with the gig. Now, it's totally unfair for me to expect that all healthcare applications should be like consumer-grade apps in terms of usability and ease of onboarding. But at the same time, there's a lot to learn from this space. Clinicians, patients, and other users of these apps in healthcare aren't just ready for it, they're demanding it. That's why we're seeing things like WhatsApp, SMS, and other consumer apps being used in healthcare settings, which is obviously fraught with danger for a number of reasons. Well, my guest today has been solving problems in this environment for a while. It's Steve Locke from CeeLo, a secure messaging app for healthcare workers. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of good communication and collaboration in healthcare, adoption of technology by enterprise, and lots more. Collaboration starts with a conversation, people. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Steve Locke. He's the co-founder and CEO of CeeLo, a secure communication, collaboration and community platform created specifically for people in healthcare by people in healthcare. Hey, Steve, how are you doing? Hey, Peter. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. I'm pumped for this one, man, because I feel like there's a lot of synergies going on between the why behind you guys, the whole collaboration in healthcare and bringing it together. And I mean, that's what we are at THT and the podcast and everything. So yeah, I feel like it's going to be a good chat. So thanks for making the time. Let's get into it. Tell us a bit more about your background. Yeah, Pete, you totally couldn't agree more. I think there's some awesome synergy between what you guys do and what Sila is trying to do as well in in more of the clinical space. But even as I got onto your platform and started to see the conversations happening, feeling that sense of community and that sense of cross-team collaboration and talking about some of the important burning topics is really just like what a clinician faces on their day-to-day, right? They're just people like you and I, and they more often than not reach out to their peers for some help or advice and usually just want to be pointed in the right direction. And so by nature that these consumer tools just sort of creep into the clinical setting. So yeah, I guess a little bit about me, my background. I'm not a clinician by background. I've grown up in a clinical family. I've got a a GP as a dad. I've got a sister who's a doctor. I end up marrying a doctor, but I buck the family trend and I'm a processing chemical engineer by trade, but I've always sort of enjoyed solving problems. So I became aware of this problem through my now wife, Jess, who who I co-founded the business with. And really we thought, I guess at the time we were relatively naive. We thought it'd be really easy to solve and how hard could it be to build a, a healthcare version of a WhatsApp? And so here we are. Oh man, that's like the famous last words of anyone getting involved in healthcare, right? So how hard could it be? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so CeeLo, tell us a bit more about that. Like what is it, who's it for and what problems it solve? Essentially, the main problem we're solving is, as you said, consumer tools like WhatsApp, texting, SMS, email. It's just sort of crept their way into the healthcare setting. 
not by fault of the clinicians themselves that are using these tools, but mainly because of the lack of alternatives that are fit for a healthcare purpose being there for them in their day-to-day. So it's easy to set up a WhatsApp group. It's easy to set up a text group with your closest peers to help each other out and ask advice or send a clinical photo for advice. And more often than not, that's all you need. You don't often need a phone call. You just need a quick message or a quick photo to say, what do you think about this? Can I get some advice? And so WhatsApp's a perfect tool for that. Except as many people will know now, WhatsApp's owned by Facebook. The data is not protected in the way that it needs to be protected for health information. And so there's a lot of inherent risks with using a tool like WhatsApp in a patient setting. And it's a big patient safety risk as well. So that's why we created CELO. And the main way in which we've approached this situation or problem is to create a healthcare-specific and compliant alternative that is just as easy to use as these consumer tools. So very easy to download, super easy to set up, super easy to connect with your team, but with the main point of difference that you can trust it. The data is being looked after in the right way. So we're globally accredited and compliant for healthcare, and there's a whole lot of information and standards you can find on our website. I won't go into the details of that today. And the trust is there as well. So you know who you're talking to is who they say they are. And we do that with three main ways. We verify identity, we verify workspace, and we verify the profession of the user as well. So you know that these conversations that you're having with your peers are honest and true, and you can rest assured that the data you're sharing is, is well looked after. And so that was the initial problem we set out to solve. But as we grew and we got these clinical teams that already knew each other using the platform, we started to see a whole lot of other benefits that came out of the platform. So it made the communication with other parties or other care teams more easy. And it started to break down some of those organizational boundaries that exist between hospitals or traditional ways of communicating, right? Like Communicating within the hospital is fine. You use a pager, which has its issues, but it works within the hospital. Or you use your email, has issues, but you, it works within the hospital. But as soon as you want to talk to someone in the next hospital or with, within another circle, it gets a little bit harder. And so CELA really solves that as well. Hey, interesting. I love the approach of start a solution for a specific problem and then you solve for that and then you uncover all this stuff, pull the thread and it continues to evolve. So it sounds like it's expanded much more from that initial use case into more of this concept around collaboration across different modes? Yeah, well, the interesting thing about that is it's, it was almost by accident, to be honest. And that's because at the start, you, you think about the problem, you think about the solution being really easy, and then you put the two together and you think, okay, well, like, as soon as we launch CELO and you make this compliant alternative available, everyone, because they're, they're law-abiding citizens, they're, they're going to be switched on, they will actually care about these compliance problems and they're just going to make the change. And we won't have to do any heavy lifting. It'll take off. Everyone will use CELO straight away. And what we found, particularly in the Australia, New Zealand, environmental landscape that wasn't the case i don't think it's by any fault of the clinicians themselves my honest view of it was that they were let down by their organizations and the data or the it decision makers within their organizations that did not make them aware of their liabilities or their need to use these secure alternatives or not to practice in a certain way and not point to or use these consumer tools but they were not made aware of that or they were not made aware of the severity of it. In some cases, hospitals just told their staff, okay, don't use WhatsApp as banned, but we don't really care about providing an alternative. You figure it out. And so they just sweep it under the rug and then pretend it doesn't happen. That for us was a big surprise. And because of that, we've seen the uptake in ANZ be relatively linear, like it hasn't been an exponential growth that we would have expected at the start. 
But it's also meant that by way of that initial barrier, we've figured out a lot of other areas or pain points that we solve as well, which is not just compliance. So that's probably a really interesting learning that we've found over the last three or four years. Yeah. No, very cool. And so you mentioned Australia, New Zealand. We've seen that linear growth suggests that you're also in other parts of the world as well. Yeah. So the end of last year, we COVID started last year and we thought, okay, well, what are we going to do now? A lot of our B2B way of selling was our team getting on a plane and going to visit people, building relationships, talking about our tool. And all of a sudden that went out the window. So we really doubled down on product and started to answer some of the really fundamental questions. What are the problems that we're trying to solve? How are we solving them? And how do we make our product and platform widely available to all these clinical users that are facing the same problem in in a global way? This is not a unique problem to ANZ. A British medical journal study was done a few years ago now, looked at the use of consumer tools and IM tools within a healthcare setting, and the facts were staggering. It's a wide-known global issue. The only difference being in the US, UK, and Europe, there are some severe penalties to not following the rules. And so very quickly, those markets became a really good target for us to expand and do a bit of a land grab in those markets. And we launched in UK end of last year, and it already accounts for more than half of our traffic. We've only been there for six months now, and it's been a really an exponential growth within that market. And the bottom line there is that these decision makers at the top level are making really bold statements. And the NHS recently made an announcement, WhatsApp shall not be used by clinical staff within the NHS, it's banned. So I'm quite surprised to see that here in New Zealand and and Australia as well, we are lagging behind in some of those blanket statements or making at least people aware of the problem, even from a patient perspective. Yeah. To dig into that a little bit more then, that's so cool that you've been able to get that traction in the UK and other parts of the world. What do you think are the major differences as to the why, you know, we've seen from the top, like you say, NHS making those statements and providing that direction. Is it just because that kind of direction is lagging here in Australia and New Zealand or is it something else? I think it's probably twofold. As most people are probably aware, GDPR has been a big topic over the last few years and a little bit of that's going to change now with Brexit, and but a lot of their GDPR rules are being applied within the UK now anyway, moving forward. And the biggest one there is the penalties. There's severe penalties, 20 million euro fine or 4% of your annual turnover, whatever is biggest. So for the NHS, you just got to do the maths. The 4% of the NHS annual turnover is massive. So it's a massive liability risk. The second point is there are alternatives available now, and we're not alone in this race. There's some great competitors in the same space and we're all trying to solve the problem in a little bit of a different way but it's really validated the market as well it's saying hey whatsapp and these consumer tools are not fit for purpose it's now time to use tools like celo which are widely available and by the way they're free too you don't even have to pay any money you can use them as an individual team just get on board it's interesting around the free point it sounds like then you mentioned before you can just download it off the app store and then use it straight away, which is quite different to how you would normally use a tool within a clinical setting. Tell us a bit more about that whole journey of moving to that freemium download off the App Store model. Yes, we started out as being a purely B2B business. We would go and present to a hospital. As many others would probably know that listen to this podcast, the, the hospital enterprise sales cycle is long and you need to be really patient. And full disclosure, I'm not as patient as you probably need to be in a public sector procurement model, but there have been times where I've gone down the slower route and been a people pleaser and done all the right things. But we very quickly realized that what we're offering with our CELO solution is extremely valuable. It's got 
super high utility. And so people just need to get on it, see the value for themselves and start using it. So the freemium model was really a no-brainer. And the pandemic was a little bit of a catalyst for us on that is that we just wanted to get it into people's hands and let them try it and see the value for themselves. The main point of difference between Celo for free and Celo Enterprise is really around how the organization controls and uses the platform. So we still have Celo Enterprise. Main benefits of that are they own the directory. They can integrate into their own systems. For example, take a patient photo safely on their Celo app and push it into the clinical notes so there's one source of truth. But that shouldn't need to stop individual clinicians and teams just getting started on our normal Celo app and have an easy way to move from away from these consumer tools like WhatsApp and texting really easily. It's really interesting because I've been in my previous lives in scenarios where one of the biggest problems to solve was that GPs, they've got photos of their kids and their Christmas photos and next to pictures of melanomas and all these other kind of clinical images of patients. That's an issue for obviously a number of reasons, but different to other industries where the clinician in that GP setting is personal liable. They're a contractor to that clinic. Something goes wrong. Typically, it comes back to that individual clinician. So I can start to see why from a individual clinician's point of view, that bottom-up process, that starts to make a lot of sense. Definitely, Pete. Like What we've seen is a lot of clinicians get started on CELO and use it just by themselves first. It might be for taking secure clinical photos and keeping them separate from your holiday photos. That is not a unique story. It's swiping through the photos of of your family on the beach and then all of a sudden, oh, big gory wound that was Mrs. Smith's leg after the surgery that's still healing. So it's not an uncommon picture. I know there's many CIOs across the public hospitals within Australia and New Zealand that tend to think doctors don't use smartphones in their day-to-day jobs. And I think that's really just their heads in the sand, to be honest. It's 2021. People are used to using apps. They do it every day. They talk to their friends. They talk to their family. Chances are they're probably going to talk to their colleagues and seek advice now and then. And chances are they probably have a phone with a good camera. They might just throw a clinical photo or two. And it's funny, like I think about on my day today, I don't even write stuff down anymore. I just take a photo. <laughs> like if I'm like, oh, I need to take note of this. It's like an extension of your body now. So to assume that... In people's day-to-day, they then stop doing that in a clinical setting is, yeah, quite naive. So I can, okay, that makes a lot of sense. And so in that environment where you've got the individuals using the solution as a freemium thing, and then you've got also the enterprise solution, how have you found that whole disconnect? Is there any concern with individuals using it, then not putting information into a central record and creating this kind of decentralization of information and further mess? Or is that just not really an issue? The way we offer our solutions is that we know that it's always good to have a central record. So we are an interoperable solution. We're interoperable with every EMR under the sun. We've got HL7 and fire standards. And so for an organization uh, like a public hospital or an LHD in, in Australia, the mechanism is there to integrate CELO into all of their existing systems. So you have a conversation around a particular patient And you want to add that as a formalized discussion that led to some sort of decision or outcome for the patient. And you want to put it against the notes. That's what CELO Enterprise is for. But that doesn't mean you have to have it. You can still go back and search your CELO records as an individual caregiver by patient ID or by name and find that record and see, okay, what's this conversation I had with my colleague that said, what should I do about this wound that's not healing properly? Escalate to this course of antibiotics or refer them to this clinic. All of that is very easily accessible. The same cannot be said to the WhatsApp thread that's happening 
in and amongst your personal communication around, okay, what time do you guys knock off work tonight? Are we meeting at the local pub for beers? Oh, by the way, can you check this radiology report as well? Yeah. And that happens, right? I'm just thinking around that whole point around slow procurement processes and the enterprise world. And we talked a little bit about some of those barriers to adoption or sometimes the CTO putting their head in the sand about some of these solutions. But what would you say are some of the main barriers to adoption of some of these technologies like Celo or others within, say, the enterprise world? I think sometimes the big one is that we're not a big name yet. So it's not a Microsoft solution. It's not a Salesforce solution. It's not Epic, it's not Cerner. And so there's almost this degree of uncertainty that comes with using a new innovation or a smaller business's solution. And I think you've got to go back to the decision makers. You're a CIO, you're sitting in an LHD, you have a pretty cushy job in all accounts, right? Like you've got a good salary. There's not too much expected of you in this day and age. Sure, you've got to keep some infrastructure up and running, but you're not necessarily pushed to try new things. And so the risk reward ratio can sometimes come to play, I think. And every now and then we'll get a, a really awesome executive or a leader within an organization that says, okay, yeah, I want to make a difference. I want to make things better for my staff. I want to make things better for my hospital and my patients. And then they work with us and they are awesome to work with. And they implement really quickly. And we very quickly see tangible outcomes and tangible improvements to the way that their healthcare system is running. On the flip side, we also get people that are like, oh, it's too hard for us to do something different. or the risk is too high. You're not Microsoft. I might get fired for choosing Celo. That's a real barrier for us. And I think that's something that, if anything, I'd like to call out is that if we want to shift the dial and make healthcare better and use digital technology to actually make that shift, people just have to be willing to try stuff. I often talk about what's the risk in trying Celo. Like we've got all these global accreditations. We've got all these certifications. We've actually been vetted by third parties that their job is to vet these solutions so that they are safe. And if we didn't do that, we wouldn't even be allowed to operate. So a lot of that due diligence has already been completed. They ask, what's the cost? And I say, well, if you don't have a budget, encourage your staff to use the free version. It'll always be free. You just don't get all these integration points that you can get at a later date. It's really, I think, about calling it out trying these new tools and we're definitely not alone in that realm like there are other solutions out there which can make a big impact to the way clinical teams operate and deliver hugely improved outcomes for patients and so i think encouragement and i'm hoping that your community of just people that are interested in digital health will try and see that shift accelerated a little bit yeah I see that particularly in the public health setting where you've got people come from different backgrounds and experiences and we've heard on the show before, no one gets fired for, you know, hiring Microsoft or whatever it is and, and although they probably have before. We've seen more and more like slowly seeing examples where there have been innovative CTOs and CIOs or entire states going through the due diligence pro is not taking a chance it's going through the appropriate due diligence with these organizations startups scale-ups that are gone through all the required qualifications and accreditations as you would expect and as needed with healthcare information to then have that precedent in place so yeah we've got to go through that and have sometimes everyone wants to be innovative but no one wants to be the first one that does it but as soon as we've got a couple that have come through and shown the effect then hopefully we can start to see that snowball continue so that's great what's good is that we're seeing more cto cios those involved in the public space checking out the show and learning more about different solutions 
like yourselves and others too. So yeah, let's see that continue. Thinking then for those in a similar situation to yourselves or maybe a few months or years behind you and CeeLo, thinking about your journey through this whole health tech startup journey, what are some of the lessons you've learned along the way that are worth sharing with others? I think just push hard. At the beginning, I was new to all of it. I was new to how a hospital worked, new to navigating the public sector procurement process. And if I think back, I was, I was still at university when I started CELO and in my last year, so I didn't have a whole lot of experience to go off. And so for me, it was really about building my own confidence and ability to network and build relationships. And possibly at the start, I didn't push hard enough. It was, oh, dear Mr. CIO, if you were so kind as to give you my time, that would be really much appreciated. And I won't take up too much of your precious time, but I'd really love for you to hear about CELO. Whereas now it's being a little bit bolder and saying, we have a really great product that has a lot of value. And that's something that is easy to demonstrate. We've got some great studies and really early call out to that was the work that we did out at Canterbury District Health Board, which is in the South Island of New Zealand. We had a really awesome chief digital officer, Stella Ward, who's now joined our global advisory group. Just a great innovator, willing to see something for what it was. It didn't matter that we were small. It was one man band at the time, but the value was there. And it's now a tool that's used by that DHB all these years later. But I think that's the main one. Like, I think it's just about finding the right partners, demonstrating the value and doing that really early and also not being afraid to push on the status quo, right? You're not going to make a change by just doing what everyone else is doing. On that point around the backing yourself, it's very New Zealand or very Aussie of the approach of like, oh, give it a go if you like, but don't want to take up too much of your time, especially for someone new. But also more than half of the battle for an early stage founder in any industry is the battle internally of themselves as well. And that the whole concept of imposter syndrome, everything is very real. And I can attest to that personally. So I think these solutions get created and they're awesome. It's about then the team and the individuals backing themselves and putting up those facts and getting amongst it and have a go. So that's great. It's a great learning to share. Thank you. Hey, lastly, then thinking about CeeLo and what's coming up for you guys, what are you focusing on? What's coming up in the next 12 to 24 months? Yes, we've got a really exciting next 12 to 24 months coming up for us. Jess and I, as the founders, we've always had a big vision to make this a global product and a tool that's available to any healthcare worker, regardless of where they are. You might be a really busy surgeon in New York that wants advice from someone in London. Why not? Let's make that happen. The most immediate launch we've got is in the US. We're about a month and a bit out from our US launch, which we're super excited about. And it's been a really big compliance journey, as you can probably imagine. Another telling tale for back here in ANZ, the bar is actually pretty low here. We just have to look a little bit further afield and we can see that there's a lot happening outside of our borders. There's some great innovation going on and the standards are really high. So we're continuously looking around us what else we can learn from and improve. We've also thinking about how we can grow a really good team around us. I'm always keen to talk to partners or customers that might want to work with us to improve our product and solve some other problems that they might have, constantly trying to innovate. And we find that the more and more we go through this journey, we're really doing it with partners and we're doing it together because it just goes so much more faster. And that's really something that we've only learned quite recently. It's a journey to go on together for sure. So look, Steve, thank you so much. I'm going to put the details for CeeLo in the show notes of this episode and the link to your listing on the Talking Health Tech website. And I know that THT Plus members can connect with you and the CLA team within the community as well. So look, thanks so much for coming on board. Thanks for sharing your story as well and good luck with everything ahead. 
Thanks very much again for your time, Pete. Yeah, really appreciate being on the show and all the best. Awesome to see a really great Aussie startup taking off as well. And then makes me feel good seeing people around me like that succeed. So well done. Yeah, awesome, man. Let's do it. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.